You are listening to the Nirvana Podcast, episode 12, Incesticide, Side B. Hello everybody and welcome to the Nirvana Podcast. My name is Sietse. And I'm Yuritja. And what we do here is we journey through the history and the music of the legendary rock band Nirvana. And that has brought us to the year 1992, in which the band released a compilation album called Incesticide. Uh, Last uh, episode, we talked about uh, side A uh, of that album. And this time we're going to focus our attention on uh, side B. Last time we did talk about how that Uh, release uh, came to be and the liner notes but we haven't touched on um, the artwork and the title of the of the record Um, i've got it right here on uh, on vinyl Um, how do you like um, the the painting that's on the on the cover i know i've uh, (laughs) not been kind about uh, kurt's uh, childhood artwork before in this podcast (laughs) you didn't like his uh, legendary donald duck drawing (laughs) exactly (laughs) No, but he's an adult now, and uh, and he uh, he designed this artwork, and uh, I think it's pretty special. I think it works really well as a cover. I know it's like the original painting is quite a large painting, actually. It's been displayed a couple of years ago, I think, in an exhibition of of Kurt's artwork. Uh, so you were able to to see it for real, and it's quite a bit bigger than um, uh, the size of an album cover. <laughs> I think it's a great art piece. It's it invokes a lot of story, um, a lot of meaning. You get sort of even if you don't really know what it's about, you get a sort of feeling that I think fits the band. And I also like the fact that it's original artwork for a compilation, so it makes it makes the album be a bit more feel like a proper album instead of a compilation because it has specifically made artwork. But I see yeah, you I, looking like I don't agree. <laughs> well, well, I I do agree on that last point. I mean, uh, this is much much better and um, validates the album a lot more than just you know take a random picture of the band and, and yeah, put it exactly. out there. I mean, it shows that Kurt was really involved with it and yep. he took the uh, the effort to, to either make a painting or select one of his paintings. I don't know if he made it especially for this record or no, not sure. If, if he just selected it from because he was always painting and creating exactly. stuff, yeah. so I don't know. Uh, but but yeah, um, it does give the album a bit of extra value. I think I had a, a bit of a questionable look on my face <laughs> because you said that it really um, fits the album. Uh, I, I'm not sure if I agree. I mean, it's really gloomy. We see this skeleton-like figure and a, a sort of a weird baby doll living weird <laughs> baby doll with a broken head turned away from it and, and, and the two uh, puppies in there um so it's, it's really really gloomy mm-hmm. and i do think that it fits um the second half of the album which we're going to discuss this time but i don't really think it fits uh, side a with you know a lot more cheerful and and pop oriented songs like like, no. like sliver and the the vaseline's covers and that's quite a yeah true well for nirvana uh terms <laughs> quite a cheerful and and happy and upbeat yeah. uh collection of songs and um i don't think 
yeah, the artwork fits the first half of the album. <laughs> but I- so you, for the first half of the album, you would, would have preferred the, the eight-year-old Kurt's Mickey Mouse drawing. <laughs> maybe, maybe, <laughs> or or the 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 backside of the of the of the uh, yeah. album, yeah, but with a with a close-up picture of a yellow duck. Yeah, maybe it should have been the other way around, like rubber duck side A and drawing side B. <laughs> Not sure. Yeah. I I mean I I agree with what you're saying, but I think the fact that that rubber duck is on the back, which is, I mean. There is no reason to put an image of a rubber duck on the back of this album. It's not an original artwork by Kurt. It's not. I mean, so maybe that's the fun side, I guess. Yeah, possibly. I don't. I don't. I don't know. Although with the big black eyes of the duck, it does have a little bit of a spooky feeling to it as well. Yeah, that's true. I look at it up up, up close. It, it it was Kurt's duck, I believe. Yeah, yeah. That's somewhere that. He owned a rubber duck, so that's <laughs> good to know. <laughs> well, don't don't we all? I mean, yeah, yeah, I, I do have one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, several, <laughs> I think, even. Yeah, but um, yeah, it, it makes an interesting cover, and yeah. uh, it it like you said, it's really interesting and good to have some um, real artwork on here and not just a, a random band picture or or stuff like that. Exactly, and I I think we shouldn't forget that Kurt's uh, own artwork was always quite uh, dark and gloomy. More so, I mean, we we discussed before that he had a great sense of humor as well, and that there is some humor in in the Nirvana songs. But his artwork was was never that. I mean, he did some cartoons when he was younger, but especially in later years, it was all quite gloomy and and negative and and dark. Yeah. Um, so I think that's just sort of the way his artwork is. On the um, quote-unquote solo album that um, came out a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. uh, Montage of Heck. On the cover, there's also uh, an original painting by, by Kurt, which really fits this style Mm -hmm. it's almost like if they made a a incesticide part two which (laughs) i think would have been a good idea but um that aside yeah it's really in the same in the same tone and in the same style uh, as this so i I suppose that's just what yeah Yeah. what came out if he started painting at a certain point of his life yep I have uh, one one last thing about the album cover i've always been annoyed by um like Everybody who explains the cover is like, yeah, and there's like two poppies on there, which which refers to heroin, because that's what heroin is made of. And <laughs> even though that might be true, um, I don't know. I don't think he ever said that himself, or maybe I've missed that. It's just, <laughs> to me, that's so... It feels like too direct. Like, yeah. oh, I'm doing heroin at this moment, so yeah, I could, I could like paint like a needle or something like that but no let's just paint poppies because (laughs) even if he no one will figure this out (laughs) (laughs) i just it's sort of annoying so i i i just like to think of it as just being two flowers and maybe something positive instead of like a really (laughs) exact uh depiction of a a heroin problem yeah, maybe, but <laughs> a, a year later they shot a video for um, a heart-shaped yeah, box. True, and he true. he's not lying in a in a field of daisies, is yeah. he? <laughs> so, <Exactly. laughs> uh, yeah. 
one last uh, thing before we um, start listening uh, to uh, the first track. The title, Incesticide, uh, I, th- I think it's a cool wordplay yeah. thing, uh, I suppose, because it's um, incest and pesticide, right? Yeah, yeah, apparently. That's, that's quite creative and I kind of I like it. Um, I believe when uh, Sub Pop wanted to, or at least they said they wanted to release an album like this because they still had some uh, Nirvana tapes uh, lying around. Uh, they wanted to call it Cash Cow. <laughs> yep. Which was would have been pretty funny, but also really, really sarcastic and uh, yeah. <laughs> a bit, uh, this, bit de- this... degrading, I think. Yeah, yeah. And this this makes uh, <laughs> a bit more sense, I think. <laughs> Thinking about the ideas for band names and titles that Kurt used to have, I think Cash Cow sort of would have fit that bill. <laughs> hmm. I mean, he wanted to to call the, the, the previous record Sheep or something like that, right? We discussed yeah, that, so could could have worked. Maybe he could have made it like a series of um, albums uh, referring to farm animals. <laughs> could be. Could be interesting. And then Bleach could have been... That, what, whatever. <laughs> Sorry, I was thinking about cheap sounds and stuff like that. <laughs> I think the good thing about Insist Society is that it feels like a real word. And just like the album cover, it makes it feel like it's a proper album and not just a compilation. It took me years before I found out that it isn't an actual English word, Insist Society. <laughs> yeah, but that that's, so. that's because we're not originally... Uh, raised with the English language. I mean, there's so many words that you learn through music that turn out to be not proper words or mean something else than you thought when you were 10. But that's another podcast. (laughs) Okay, so um, we've uh, flipped uh, the vinyl and now we're going to uh, listen to side B. Or actually, it's called side two on the album sleeve of Incesticide. So here we go with the beeswax. And I think this song really sets the tone for the, for this half of uh, of the record. We've just hear, heard some um, cover songs and and an old uh, as a single, but now we're going to take like a deep dive into the history of uh, of Nirvana because this is a song um, that they recorded in 1988 yep. for a, for a demo tape with uh, Dale Crover on uh, on drums from the Melvins. Yeah, so this is like a really really old school uh, Nirvana track. <laughs> This is a song like I always I want to like it like when it starts you're like oh yeah yeah this is good and then after a while I'm like oh, there's too many there's like too many songs like this uh, not specifically Nirvana songs but it doesn't really stand out enough in the whole realm of 1988 punk rock but I really like the drumming though I mean we we know Dale Crover is a great drummer but I think that that one of the things for me that stands out in this song is is his drumming. There was a good fit with Nirvana. We all know <laughs> things went differently, but 
and that, that's that's for me one of the main takes of of this song the fact that that his drumming is is really great on this one yeah it's uh, it's it's nice and i um agree that it's not a very special song at least not musically um the lyrics are uh, are something else <laughs> yeah i think these are like one of the most misheard and misinterpreted lyrics of nirvana when you google online you see like millions of different versions it's really hard to understand what he's actually singing exactly you have no idea what he's talking about it's really hard to make out and the museum of uh, pop culture in seattle um actually has the original lyrics written by kurt um on display i mean they have a great array of of nirvana things on display anyway Uh, but this is one of those i have no idea if that is exactly what he sings because we all know like there's always different versions of songs anyway um so perhaps those aren't even the the final definitive (laughs) lyrics but those are at least sort of the 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 most official lyrics that there are i guess i think most of it um is actually what he sang um like you said, it's hard. It's hard to make out. It's there's some weird stuff in there, man. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> there is, there is definitely gluing my manhood in a manhole. Yep. Hydraulic push of kitty ass button. High water jumpsuits and a raped ape. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what's up with that? And uh, to be honest, the 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 chorus. I don't even know w- w- what it is. No, I, I totally mean, agree. I, I I have no idea what the title has to do with anything. <laughs> that doesn't help. <laughs> I've I got my titillate spade. I have no <laughs> something, idea. Something something. <laughs> no. I don't know, but it's it's clear that he's yeah. Well, he's like making a lot of dark, weird, and slightly disturbing or disgusting images. And I think that's just what he went for. Mm-hmm. It's like a stream of consciousness for yeah, weird stuff. Maybe almost like he's uh, hallucinating. Yeah, something like that. I know that there's been readings on this these lyrics as well that are like, yeah, this is all about homosexuality. But then it turned out that that came to be because a lot of lyrics were misheard. <laughs> so like two words... Uh, point to that and then other sentences seem to be about that but I don't think that's conclusive either so I think that um, (laughs) this is one of those lyrics that that you probably don't need to take that seriously because sometimes he just did whatever Uh (laughs) and and, and, uh, it was written probably in 1987 so he wasn't a songwriter for that long no, and also don't forget he liked uh, collages. He made sound collages, but he also liked to do lyrical collages as well. I mean, I, I think I mentioned before that like, people like David Bowie would do stuff like that as well. Um, slightly more structures, but still. <laughs> so I think this probably fits into that category of of work. Uh, I, I'm looking at the hand lyric, uh, handwritten lyrics uh, uh, right now. Mm-hmm. Feeding a cow, hamburger, and raw. Um, so m- maybe um, 
there is something in the the cash cow um, area <laughs> going on uh, already. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, that, that, that doesn't make any sense. I'm sorry for that. Um, <laughs> it's just we were just talking about cows and farm animals, and then <laughs> the very first song we put on for the first time, I noticed that the word cow is in there. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, it, it's a song they uh, discarded quite fast, I think, because they didn't put it on their first album. And uh, they stopped playing it live for uh, for a long, long time. Yep. Until um, they had a show in uh, Buenos Aires mm-hmm. um, in uh, late uh, 1992, I believe. Um, so quite shortly after this um, uh, compilation album was made and released. And then all of a sudden they started uh, playing it again. Uh, and here's how it sounded in uh, yeah a couple of years down the road. I'm not sure if they did uh, the crowd uh, a big favor there, <laughs> but uh, it was a legendary, uh, unsuccessful show anyway. <laughs> yes. But I was, think I'm we sure will we touch on that. Yeah. yeah. In, in our next <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Definitely. I do think it's interesting, though, that they started playing it because then obviously that meant that Kurt, while making this compilation, realized that they had this song and that it at least sort of re-piqued his interest in in playing it, which which is interesting. Um, I think it's it's rough, but you do sort of hear that they try to do something with it. It doesn't really succeed, but... <laughs> I don't even know if they planned on playing this because Kurt doesn't seem to know all the words a bit further up in the song. No. It could also be quite spontaneous that he thought, oh, well, I just, you know, listened to this song a couple of times uh, when I selected the tracks for Incesticide. And then he thought, oh, let, let's play that one. I mean, like I said, they did they did a lot of weird things uh, <laughs> during uh, that, that show in Argentina. Uh, but that Dave at least need, needed to have been able to hear this song a couple of times to do it because I, I, I'm sure Dave got a copy of uh, Incesticide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that doesn't mean he listened to it. I mean, <laughs> not every every band listens to the wrong. But I I mean I think he's sort of doing sort of the same thing that Dale did on on the album. So he he yeah. must have known something about it. Um, but yeah, it 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 doesn't sound like a big success. Um, it's just probably something they tried out like, Oh, we have that one lying around. Let's, uh, let's do it. Yeah. Maybe they just, you know, played it once or twice, uh, yeah. in a rehearsal room, just, you know, because they want to play something and, Oh, well, let's do that one. Uh, that doesn't mean that, Oh, it's, it's on our set list now. I mean, no, exactly. So it's uh, probably, uh, something like that. 
So, uh, anything more to say about beeswax, or are you ready for uh, an <laughs> no, old familiar song called Downer? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I already said it was an uh, old familiar song because this is the exact same version of the song that's on uh, most um, issues of of Bleach. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a really weird choice to put it on here. I really don't get it. We've talked about this song before and how Kurt later on said that he didn't really like it lyrically. Apparently they never, for that reason, they never played it live or, or almost never. Um, and uh, Kurt apparently did want people to hear it, like people who, who were only now coming into Nirvana. Um, he sort of wanted to include this to make sure that they knew that this was part of what the band was as well, which I find slightly contradictive with the fact that he later on said that he, he really didn't like the lyrics, but I mean, we'll never know. But apparently that was one of the reasons like that, People wouldn't know it, but he wanted them to know it. And so that's why he included it here. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I still think it's a bit weird. <laughs> because, yeah, yeah, uh, no, I mean, I, 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 I totally get that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And he also said, well, m most people don't have bleach. That's maybe right. But then, you know, you could put all, on all the songs of bleach on here. <laughs> <laughs> True. For, yeah, so I, I don't really, really get it. And also, I still don't think, well, we've talked about this before, like you said, when we covered uh, the Bleach album, I also don't really like this song, so... No. <laughs> well, that's your problem. <laughs> well, yeah, sure. sure. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you want to um, put a song from Bleach on here, there are better songs available. And if you think, well, not all the issues of Bleach have this one on it, then you could also put on uh, uh, Big Cheese, yep. uh, which is a song that I personally like better than Downer. But uh, but for some, uh, yeah, it was uh, up to Kurt, at least as far as we know, and he decided that uh, the song should be included. So, uh, so there it is. It is interesting to hear, I think, how the song developed. Mm-hmm. Because we have some even older uh, uh, version. Um, this is the version that, uh, like I said, ended up on Bleach. And it was recorded in uh, 1988 during the same session uh, when they also recorded Beeswax, uh, the mm -hmm. previous track we had just heard. But there are older versions out there as well. Um, there's an, uh, the famous Fecal Matter dem demo. We're going back in history now, so of course we've uh, come across a lot of topics that we've already talked about, but uh, for people who skipped our um, earlier episodes, that was uh, like the first recording that ultimately led to Nirvana being formed. Yeah. I think it's uh, it's fair to say that. Yep. And um, it, had, uh, it was a tape that had a downer already on it. We're going to listen to just a little bit of that, mm -hmm. recorded in 1986. And then we go to a performance for um, Chaos Radio Station in 1987. Torture, sincerity, act out of loyalty, defend your free country, wish away the 
They kept working on it, obviously, yeah. because the song is changing and evolving. And uh, when listening back to those old versions, I do think that the 1988 version is the best one they came up with. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's it's interesting to hear that they sort of <laughs> it's sort of three different versions of punk rock, which which is really interesting. Um, and I also think that they progressed more and more to something that would eventually become their own sound. If you hear yeah. that really old first demo that has nothing to do with Nirvana whatsoever, as as <laughs> we've come to know it, but it's sort of progressing to that somehow. Yeah, yeah they seem to um, keep speeding it up. Yeah. The song is going faster, and um, I really like that because then it's... Um, uh, yeah, it doesn't last as long, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really short song. It's like under two yeah. minutes, I think, something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. Let me check. It's one minute and forty-four seconds. Wow. Well, the 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 final uh, yep. version yep. is um, the nineteen eighty-six version is two minutes and fifty-one seconds. Yeah, that's because they played it slow. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, and, and, can... and there's also so, so, some differences, but um, yeah. Yeah. No, but you can you can hear I think that also in the way that that Kurt is delivering those lyrics that he was really into like things like Black Flag and stuff like that, and he sort of tried to imitate that in the beginning, and you you hear him getting more into his own voice and his own sound later on as well. So I think that's that's at least an interesting uh, progression of this song. Yeah, I don't hate this song. I just. <laughs> Don't like it very much. No. Let's have a listen to uh, Mexican Seafood, which is, uh, again, uh, from that same uh, demo session in uh, 1988. So uh, here we go. Yeah, uh, I, I waited uh, before uh, cutting this uh, song <laughs> <Yep>. short <laughs> for the line. Uh, now I vomit cum and diarrhea on the tile floor like oatmeal pizza. So there you have it. I think that uh, perfectly uh, sums up the, the content <laughs> of the lyrical content of this song. The whole moral of the song is people don't eat Mexican seafood because this <laughs> is what will happen. <laughs> I have no idea what Mexican seafood is anyway, but I don't think Kurt knew that either. Um, no, I, I suppose it's seafood 
prepared in a Mexican style. Yeah. I don't think I've been to a Mexican restaurant ever where they particularly served seafood, but uh, yeah. it's, it is it is something, seafood, that if it goes bad, it goes really bad. Exactly. And Mexican food has kind of a reputation as well, at least where I'm from. I mean, <laughs> <you> can... <laughs> I, I don't know that reputation, so you're... Definitely from somewhere else that I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah. Well, we've pointed out this before, but uh, you grew up in Amsterdam, and I grew up in a quite smaller village in uh, in exactly. the Netherlands. So, yeah. Well, I must say, I've I've, I've been to Mexico uh, Mexico once, and I was looking forward to the food, but I was really disappointed because, of course, the Mexican food that we get here in the Netherlands doesn't have a lot to do with the. Mexican food that's actually from Mexico. No, it's what and we eat is, is Tex-Mex, which is yeah. American Mexican. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but at least I didn't vomit, cum, and diarrhea. So that was no. Good. But that had to do with what was that line after that? Like a pizza, which yeah, is the oatmeal pizza. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but it's it's, it's disgusting lyrics. Yeah. Um, I think it's pretty funny, and I. Th- I guess it was meant to be that or maybe also to upset people. And you could also argue that, well, Kurt famously had um, stomach issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe it had something to do with that. Like this song was on, um, was recorded for some sort of compilation album, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It, it was released uh, before. Let me check that really quick. The Teriyaki Asthma uh, volume one compilation yeah so teriyaki is is japanese food so maybe that's the theme here i don't know yeah i I must say i never uh, checked out that that uh, record so i don't know (laughs) i mean teriyaki asthma seems like (laughs) just like something like mexican food that that makes you vomit and then japanese food that gives you asthma i yeah Maybe there's something there. Maybe they all got like a country and a disease and then <laughs> like write, write, write a song about this. Maybe there's there's other songs like like Spanish, Spanish hip. Pa- paella, um, paella broken leg, something like that. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, but at, at least they, they weren't instructed to write this song because uh, it was written in 1987 and that compilation album was 1989. So they had it <laughs> lying around already. Yep. Maybe they got like the assignment. For, okay, so you need to write something about foreign food and uh, and some <laughs> sign, kind of disease. And he said, I have the perfect song written already. <laughs> <laughs> it probably wasn't even, even called Mexican seafood because, yeah. We all know what titles of Nirvana songs often don't mean anything. So, um, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I must is, say, I, mean, I, I think yeah. it's a fun song. Yeah. I, exactly. Yeah. I, I think as well, I think there is, um, there's definitely, it's definitely meant to be fun or, or at least, I mean, if you listen it very clearly, it's, um, it's, um, the song has a really um, uh, British feel to it, like more the, the British version of punk rock. And if, if you listen closely, um, you can sort of hear Kurt trying to do um, 
like British inflections of, of words. Like not really exactly a British accent, but some of the inflections at the end of a sentence, you can sort of make that out. So it feels like he was he was doing some sort of mock British punk rock sound, whatever, the way that he's he's singing some of those lines. Um, so it feels like that's meant for fun as well. Um, but apart from fun, I think there is. I mean, I would have, I would have liked to hear um, an improved version of this as well, because I think there's, there's actually more that they could have done with it. Uh, on the other hand, it's, it's also a really a sort of a throwaway song, so maybe, <laughs> maybe that's asking too much. But yeah, I do think it's funny that, yeah, I mean, in <laughs> if. Uh, Somebody heard this song in 1987 um, and read the lyrics. Who would have said, oh, that guy with his oatmeal pizza, that's <laughs> going to be the voice of a generation. <laughs> no. <laughs> it must have been weird for himself as well, because he was also writing songs like this. And then all of a sudden he became this like iconic person and people really cared about his views and his opinions. And he had something to say. But uh, on the other hand, he was also just a songwriter making stuff and also stuff like this one interesting thing that's in all of this weird messy funny lyrics that is i think interesting is that there's a lot of a lot of emphasis on on those like bodily functions and stuff like that and that's actually something that would would pop up more often in his later work as well and also in his artwork so i think yeah. there is something in there that at least connects to to his his mind and and the things that he was interested in. So um, let's have a listen to a, a live version from 1987 from this song, recorded at a at a house party at a, in a Raymond. I suppose that's a town in the U.S. Um, I don't know exactly where it is. I don't think it isn't no. that far from the area they grew up in, but uh, I haven't checked the map so. Uh, um, here's how uh, Mexican seafood sounded live in hardly hear uh, any any vocals on it but i do think that if you saw them play this one live that it would be uh, quite uplifting and you know oh this is a fun song yeah let's let's um let's get a beer and enjoy ourselves it has a it has a real energetic feeling to it and and they play it really well so uh, by the way while you were playing that i looked up raymond and it's actually there is a town in Washington called Raymond, so let's mm. assume that was where they were. There's a town called Raymond in Maine as well, but I'll assume that they weren't playing the other side of the country in 1987. So, so that was a uh, Mexican seafood. Uh, are you ready for the hairspray queen? Yes. Or actually, hairspray queen, not the hairspray queen, <laughs> but uh, the song hairspray queen. Thank you. 
imagine somebody who heard um, Teen Spirit on the radio, <laughs> but never mind, liked it, uh, then uh, later uh, saw, oh, there's a new Nirvana album out, I'm going to get it. And then um, hearing this. <laughs> yep, that must have been uh, <laughs> shocking. Or not. I mean, they, they might have loved this, as as many people do, which, I mean, but yeah, it's different. <laughs> so apparently... Kurt wanted this song on Bleach, but for some reason it eventually didn't make the cut. I'm not sure why it didn't. I don't know either. Maybe um, the guys from the record label didn't like it, or maybe the um, other band members didn't like it or voted against it. I don't know. I think it would have been a nice addition to Bleach because it's it sounds really different. I think the, the big uh, flaw in Bleach is that it most of the songs sound too similar, yep. both as um, in the way they're written and in the way they're uh, recorded and produced, which isn't weird because they had very little time uh, to uh, to tape all the songs. But um, this would have brought a different flavor to the album, I think. And I like that weird bass line and that clean, almost funky guitar work. The, the weird thing I think about those guitars is that... <laughs> For me, because I like it as well, but for me, that is um, something that sort of stands out the most as being very unlike Nirvana. And I think that maybe is also, I mean, we we talked about before that apparently Kurt was saying like he hated Pearl Jam because they had too many guitar solos and stuff like that. Or too many notes (laughs) in their guitar solos. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I mean, obviously, that that's, that's sort of bullshit sort of things to say. Yeah. But when you listen to this one, it sort of does make you realize that Nirvana really didn't have guitar parts like that eventually. And that's, I think, why this song stands out. Because it has those parts that you usually don't really hear. And that makes it different. And obviously the way that he sings it. I mean, that's another way of him trying to to give a different vocal delivery. And and although I don't particularly like it because I think it's too um, fabricated, yeah. um, it does work for the song. It's really something that, that belongs on an album like Incesticide, which is a compilation which shows where the band came from. And the stages they went through before they became the band that made Nevermind and and became a global success. As a song like this, it's the reason why uh, an album like this um, is interesting and uh, that we should be uh, glad that it uh, exists. Um, by the way, this is also uh, another song from that same uh, um, recording session in 1988. So that's... That's almost the entire um, second half of uh, of the record. Mm-hmm. Um, so just uh, for people who, uh, who keep uh, who keep track, I, I also think that it's such a strange baseline. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always curious if uh, Chris came up with it or or uh, Kurt came up with it. There's an early version from 1987, and it starts the same, but instead of the bass guitar, it's the uh, guitar that plays that part makes me think that probably uh, most of it was Kurt's idea but um, anyway here's how it sounded oh, it's the wrong version 
taught you how to play guitar anyway. <laughs> That's not what I meant at all. <laughs> no, I was just about to ask, like, is is this really? <laughs> I think I had a version lined up where um, a guitar plays that same part. Mm -hmm. But now I, I don't know where it is. <laughs> so we're probably going to edit this out or <laughs> maybe keep it in. Well, uh, one thing I've learned from making this podcast that, uh, is that um, if you um, don't know what you're doing anymore, just um, uh, <laughs> play the ball at the audience. So uh, <laughs> if anybody knows what version I was uh, actually <laughs> referring to, um, please let me know. I'm pretty sure I've heard it and I thought I had it lined up, but now I don't have it. Sorry about that. <laughs> I don't know which version you're referring to, so I can't help you. Um, however, uh, there is something uh, that's interesting that would go against that version <laughs> that you claim to have heard. Um, because um, actually this is one of the um, small amount of songs on this album that is not just uh, attributed to Kurt Cobain as a writer but also has Chris Novoselic as a co-writer on it. I don't know what that means, but that could mean that he actually wrote his bass part. Hmm. Or so. he wrote the guitar part that could play. <laughs> <and> I, whatever. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I did do, do like a quick sh search on my computer and here is an, another old <laughs> version. So I'm really hoping and praying that this one <laughs> starts off with just a guitar. I'm I'm afraid not, but I'm just gonna gonna take a guess here. <laughs> No, that's not what I meant as well, because what, <laughs> you can hear the guitar harder on this recording, yeah. um, but um, still the, the bass part is still played by the bass guitar. So yep. that's not what I meant as well. Maybe that version only exists in my mind. That's possible. <laughs> it's it's going <clears> to <throat> be a mystery. Yeah, I think so too. So uh, once again, um, dear listeners, um, if you know which version I mean, please um, uh, let me know and we uh, will re reward you with a, with a thank you on our uh, uh, podcast. You can uh, let us know by sending an email to uh, surewoodpodcast at gmail.com or uh, reach out to us on Facebook. That's uh, facebook.com slash nirvana podcast. And hopefully uh, one day it will pop up or uh, otherwise I'm going to have to uh, admit that I'm, uh, that I'm wrong. <laughs> I like this mystery. So um, that's enough about the baseline, I, th I think. <laughs> and I think it's 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 best that um, you do the talking for a while. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I I don't have any mystery versions of anything, so uh, I'm safe. <laughs> Any friends, any 
Yeah, I don't want to um, over-explain uh, things, but uh, uh, AeroZeppelin is a combination of uh, Aerosmith and Led Zeppelin. It's a logical title. Kurt said that he wrote this song because he just wanted to throw together all this kind of hard rock, metal-y guitar riffs, and that's basically the song. And you can, uh, yeah, you can really hear that coming through. Adding to your uh, explanation of the title, I think we should also um, maybe mention that things like hard rock, metal, uh, labels like that have been changing over the years as well. Well, we have all those all those labels like like hair rock. We talked about that. Uh, you have prog rock from the 1970s, which Led Zeppelin is sort of. Slightly that as well. I mean, there's there's lots of different labels. So just I just want to mention that that listeners understand that we sometimes use those labels, but they're like they're not fixed. <laughs> no, absolutely not. I mean, if 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 you wait long enough, um, everything is um, uh, classic rock. So exactly, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you could you could make a case for Nirvana being classic rock. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. The thing about this song, I think, is. Um, that they do it really well, <laughs> especially Led Zeppelin has been like an influence on them for a long time, and 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 I mean Kurt has has mentioned them and played songs and and done like Led Zeppelin tribute bands, whatever uh, in the past. It was a Clearwater uh, Clearwater Revival tribute band, and they did play some Led Zeppelin cover <laughs> songs, I think. Right before right. the emails uh, start pouring in, like. First, you promised us a version of Hairspray Queen that didn't exist, and now you're. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's good for you to say that, and and, and obviously, Queen's Clearwater Revival is is a totally different sort of sound. Like, yeah. So let's <laughs> before we get into all sorts of uh, yeah, but uh, nice, nice, uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, but they, I mean, they they nail it here. I think it's like it starts out at, as Led Zeppelin and it turns into Aerosmith or at least early Aerosmith, not late Aerosmith, because that's different as well. It feels like they're trying to sort of find that middle ground between the the, the older hard rock and then the, the sort of the punk sound. And they don't really, in my opinion at least, they don't really nail it because it it stays too much in the, the, the mimicking and they don't really make something new out of it. But the mimicking is is awesome, and I I especially like the the, the start of this song. Oh, I'm sorry because I uh, started um, a fragment we just listened to yep. a bit later <laughs> on in the song. So uh, to to compensate, here's the start of the song. reason why I started it a bit further up uh, uh, in the song because I wanted to um, grasp the different parts in the song and yep. how it speeds up and the the, the riffing that uh, that goes on but um, yeah it's, it's it's a good start for a song I think maybe it's almost um, too bad that he felt the need to throw in so many different things in there and yep. decided that it was like this 
riff salad of a song. <laughs> Some, something I like, like that. Name. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good yeah. name for a band. Riff salad. Riff salad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it beats oatmeal pizza. <laughs> True. Yeah. But um, now I forgot my point. Oh, um, right. Um, I do want to say that uh, a song like this um, proves that Kurt was uh, a lot better of a guitar player than he got credit for and that he gave himself yeah, credit for. After this period, he uh, simplified his guitar parts more and more mm-hmm. and stopped playing um, complex solos, but that didn't mean that he couldn't do them. I just no, think that he felt that it was stronger or better to play noise solos or just really simple solos with just a, a, a couple of notes. I think that was an artistic choice. And I think that's uh, an interesting choice. I like it a lot better, I think. if it's mm-hmm. sim- I don't yeah, really like too. those complex, oh, look at me playing uh, a thousand uh, notes uh, in three seconds. <laughs> no. Then it's showing off. And I'd rather yeah. have something of an expression or something that serves the, the song, something like that. I mean, the whole punk movement never had stuff like that. And and the whole grunge and new new rock music also had like a different attitude, I think. So that made it more logical to, to disperse with the long guitar solos as well, because it just didn't fit the... The, the feel and the style, not just of the music, but also of the, the attitude of, of the people playing. Yeah. So um, let's travel one more time to our favorite uh, place in the US, Raymond, because um, <laughs> that's apparently um, where they played this song, Aero Zeppelin, uh, live for the first time in uh, 1987. And I think uh, we've talked enough about it. So uh, right after that, uh, we continue to Big Long now. So uh, that's a big long now. Um, actually, the first uh, song uh, on this side of the record that isn't from that same uh, tape that we've already uh, discussed, <laughs> because this is an actual Bleach outtake. Um, there's not a lot of them. No. Nope. Apparently, um, they kind of forgot about this song. And then uh, Jack and Dino, uh, the guy who produced uh, the Bleach album, uh, pointed it out. And I always get the impression that he kind of liked this song. So he he wanted them to put it on there and he uh, 
made a case for it. So that's um, that's cool. And I think we should uh, thank Mr. Andino for that because I think it's a really great um, addition to uh, the Nirvana catalog and uh, to this album uh, as well. Yeah, it, I read somewhere that it, Sifting was the song that ended up on Bleach instead of this song. So. Yeah, but I think that's, I've, I've read that as well. I think that's speculation. I think because that's also a slower song. Exactly. So yeah. it kind of taps into the same energy. Yeah. Um, and personally, I like this one a lot better. Yep, me too. So if, if that's really the case, that it was um, one of those two, I would always pick uh, this one. <laughs> well, Jack and Dino uh, <laughs> apparently uh, would have uh, done also. Yeah, I think it's just a very interesting song and a, a lot of people like it. I think it's like a, um, a fan favorite deep cut. Mm-hmm. Again, no idea what it's about. It's one of those songs that have a lot of... Uh, different versions of the lyrics uh, out yeah. there on the internet <laughs> and just as many interpretations. Uh, when I was Googling it, somebody wrote about it that it's, he thought it was about alien abduction. <laughs> could be. Yeah, I mean... could be. It's a, it's something that sometimes shows up in Kurt's mind and lyrics. Yeah, I mean, he started the song with when I was an alien, so it's not, it's not <laughs> true. That um, it it wouldn't be that strange to to assume this, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. It it does have a certain atmosphere. I think mm-hmm. it's a bit of a mysterious yeah. song, both yeah. lyrically yeah, and it, musically. It sort of. I think in in this case the 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 placement of the songs on this side uh, really makes sense because. For me, this feels like a sort of a a logical song after Aerozeppelin because it has that same sort of 70s progressive rock feel to it. The same sort of chords and harmonies that you can hear in Aerozeppelin as well, especially in the beginning. But here it's been done better <laughs> mm. and not just better, but where in the previous song it felt like a, a mishmash of, of influences. Here it feels like they've they've made it their own. Um, and that, that sort of mysterious feel to it has that, that progressive rock feel, but it also has that Nirvana feel that we know from some of their songs on Bleach and, and also on Nevermind. So I think that, that this feels more like something they own them, themselves. And I, I would have find it interesting to see if uh, what would have happened if they progressed more into this direction and and sort of found out more about what they could do with this kind of song. This is a kind of song that they could have gone back to a bit later if they would have carried on and you know after in utero had to come up with new material and maybe that's something they would like to develop a bit further. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a, a lot of speculation about that. What would have happened if Kurt hadn't died and the band had stayed together? What direction would they have gone to? Nobody knows. But uh, yeah, I think this could be an option, something like this, but it probably would have been better. <laughs> <laughs> In my opinion, Nirvana is a band that um, just kept on getting better and better and better and better, yeah. which is also why I don't 
really like um, this B side of uh, Incesticide because it's all like the uh, older material. It's not a collection of songs that I listen to very often. But this is one, Big Long Now, is one that, yeah, I kind of rediscovered when listening <laughs> uh, to the songs uh, in preparation of this uh, of the podcast. So, yeah, um, this is a cool one, I think. Um, but they, they never played it live, right? Well, I think they did, but there's no recordings of it. They for sure didn't play it live a lot. Um, there is, however, um, an outtake from this song. And that's from the same um, practice uh, at Chris's, uh, uh, Chris' uh, mom's house that we just heard that um, failed <laughs> a version of, uh, of Hairspray Queen in which um, uh, Chris accidentally played the, the, the bass line. Well, everybody knows at that point it was always Kurt <laughs> on a guitar playing that. No, um, I'm sorry. I was kidding. Uh, there's a performance of this song uh, on um, the DVD that came from uh, together with the uh, with the Lights Out box set, right? Um, so you can uh, you can find it there, and I think it's also on uh, on YouTube. And they play it. Well, they do play it live. I'm not sure if it's a performance or more of a rehearsal. I think the latter. Um, and during this performance, you can see how Kurt is. Um, uh, standing with his back to the other people because he's facing the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, there seems to be a piece of paper stuck to the wall. So I don't know if he does that because he uh, wanted to read the lyrics <laughs> and that's the way he did it or that he just didn't want to face the other people who were there. Sort of like um, that that scene from um, the the movie The Doors, in which uh, right. <laughs> they show how um, Jim Morrison in the beginning never dared to face the audience and then all of a sudden turned around. It was this big, yes. big moment. Magic. <laughs> Magic, yeah. But um, yeah, you see him uh, facing the wall um, and they do play uh, Big Long Now. So anything more uh, you want to share about um, this song or um, shall we go to the closing track of Incesticide? Yeah, let's go to the closing one. Yes, that was aneurysm. And I must say, um, I think it's a bit of a pity that this is the last song on the 
uh, on the album. I think it's a bit buried a bit too deep after all these um, obscure uh, demo tapes and not very um, accessible tunes because I think this is one of their, not just one of the best songs on this album, but one of the best songs in the entire Nirvana catalog. Mm-hmm. Definitely, and you're you're not the only one. I think this is a big fan favorite. Yeah, I I, I personally I, I really like it. Um, uh, they should could have put it on um, Nevermind. Yeah. I think maybe they should have mm-hmm. because, I like agree. I said, I, I really like it. Um, and they they had it. Um, it was ready, so they they, they could have done it. Um, instead, um, they chose not to do it. Um, and there's a different version of this song that we will uh, listen to in a minute on the B-side of the Teen Spirit single. It's a weird kind of song because it's, well, obviously it has those sort of different halves. Would you you call it a riff salad? (laughs) (laughs) I would almost call it a riff salad. (laughs) the, The weird thing is that it's sort of, when that change happens, at first you're like, wow, they're going into an entirely different song now. But then when it continues, it's like, no, no, this is actually, this is this is one and the same. I don't know how they pull it off, but it's sort of, to me, that combination works really well. The, the fact that you, you first are startled by what are they doing now, and then you realize, oh, no, this is this, this actually works yeah. as part of the song. Yeah, it's, it's a song that's credited um, to all uh, uh, band members. Um, it was written in 1990, so... Uh, uh by that time, uh, Dave Grohl uh, was already a member of the of Nirvana, and yep. I always get the feeling that this song really came from them jamming, and that probably explains why the beginning has so many um, different parts, because the, when when the vocals come in, uh, you're already in the in the third part of the song, basically. Exactly, and and the vocals come in extremely late anyway, so. Yeah, that's that, that's right. So I I think that's the result of not having Kurt come in with a pretty much finished song, but maybe just a simple idea, and then okay, let's see where we can take this. And that yeah. uh, in this case, it it it, it works really really well, or at least for me, it uh, it does. I don't really know why they didn't put it on. Never mind. I can understand that they might have wanted to to keep some stronger songs for B-sides as well, even though in the beginning they wouldn't have known how many singles they would release. Again, not to over-explain, but especially for some younger listeners who might not realize this, back in the days when you would release singles, even on, on CD because you had CD singles, I mean, sometimes there would be like two songs on the B-side, but they wouldn't fill it up with just songs that were already on the album because that would mean that on the one hand you would go through all of the songs quite fast. You'd also sort of, if you put a song from the album on a B-side, it would feel like it would be an inferior song. Um, and also you would want people to buy those singles because a lot of the the earnings of an artist uh, came from sales. Um, so you wanted fans to who had the album also to buy the single. So putting great stuff on the B-side was something that was actually quite important. 
So I know, and I don't know if that was the case here, but I know a lot of bands who would keep some of some of the good songs also um, from the album because they knew they could use them as B-sides. Yeah, but then again, there's also bands that didn't quite realize how good their song was. <laughs> there are some famous examples of, uh, of um, songs that were B-sides, but then later became very popular and then yeah. the band had to admit yeah maybe we should have made that the a side or maybe we should have put it on the album i mean um yeah, oasis is work. well known for yeah. it um yellow led better by uh, pearl jam right it's another yeah. example um yeah. yeah i i think so but 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 the, yeah but but anyway um if if if, if they would have called me um <laughs> when i was uh, 10 years old in uh, 1991 and uh I um, yeah, they wanted some good advice. I would have said, yeah, put aneurysm on the uh, on your album because it's a yep. it's a really uh, awesome song, um, and um, I think they must have liked it themselves as well because they kept uh, playing it live pretty much every sh- uh, show they did, usually mm-hmm. at the beginning, which I think is uh, is a very good uh, good choice. Which also makes me think that maybe it makes sense to put this song on the beginning of your album as well, but. Uh, well, Kurt decided uh, different. Um, by the way, this um, this version of uh, aneurysm that we just heard um, was recorded for the BBC for a, a radio show called uh, The Evening Session. The version that's on the B-side of the Smells Like Teen Spirit single is, um, is uh, quite different. That's a studio version uh, recorded in 1991 at uh, the Music Source Studios. Yeah, let's uh, let's listen to that one. Which one uh, do you like better? I think this one has a bit more, um, bit more power to it. But the version that's on Incesticide is is more polished, so makes sense to have that one on there. I think probably a reason why um, Kurt chose this version is because it um, had only been released on the. Uh, hormoning uh, EP. Yep. That was to promote their tour in uh, Australia and Japan. So not a lot of people had it. And um, the B-side version, well, a lot of people knew that one already because the Smells Like Teen Spirit single uh, had sold so many exactly. copies. So uh, yeah. it's maybe another other reason um, to to do that. His 
singing is is sort of feels more relaxed on this version on the, the newer version but i don't know how how he listened to his own singing and if that was something that that he was interested in on on uh choosing which tracks um so but to me at least it sounds more relaxed and and better we've talked about uh the music of this song we haven't touched on the lyrics just yet i think they are kind of good as well to me it's yeah. about both um love and drugs at the same time of course mixed with some medical imagery and words like aneurysm uh, <laughs> exactly. in typical uh, Cobain <laughs> style. Love you so much it makes me sick is a line that most people think is because when he uh, met uh, Toby Vale, his, uh, his then girlfriend, um, he was so nervous that he actually got sick and became nauseous. Um, that may or may not be true, but it's, it's interesting that even in a, in a love song, things are twisted and there's uh, sickness as well and it really showcases how we wrote yeah yeah definitely and and i i think that the combination of of things here like we talked about previous songs that have uh, a lot of imagery in there that makes it confusing and to me the lyrics of this song um have the opposite effect because here he does what i think he does best in his his best lyric writing is is using imagery that may not always fit together but uh invokes a new image that is is really um clear and and interesting and invokes all kinds of feelings uh when you listen to it um even if you don't know exactly what he means uh like you said this is about love it might be about breaking up it might be about going back together it might be about drugs um there's a lot of that stuff in there so again it's not a clear story but the imagery makes it makes it a really clear vision at least and something that even if you don't know exactly what it means you can feel what it means Eventually, Aneurysm did get released as an A-side of a single because uh, after Kurt passed, um, the album that came out uh, by Nirvana was a a compilation of uh, live versions of uh, of songs uh, from the Muddy Banks Banks of the Wishka, it's uh, it's called. And to promote that album, um, a live version of uh, Aneurysm was uh, released as a single. We're not going to listen to that version. Uh, go look at, uh, go look it up yourself, um, because uh, there's already uh, another version of aneurysm uh, coming up, which is our own uh, theme music. Uh, so it's the the piano version by our good friend um, Joop Hullegi, and you can find pretty much um, every Nirvana song played on piano uh, on his uh, uh, channels, uh, Nirvana Piano on uh, YouTube and SoundCloud and. Uh, Go go check it out, and uh, well, of course, uh, I had good reasons to uh, <laughs> to to select uh, aneurysm as a, as a, our a theme song because I like the song very much. It's yep. not their best known song to the broader audience, but I think, yeah, like you said, it's a it's a fan favorite, and also it sounds a bit cheerful, especially yep. on the piano version. And uh, well, <laughs> there there's enough uh, darkness in the music and in the 
history of the band. So I thought, well, let's let's see if we can start it out <laughs> and end it at least in uh, with some lighter tones. Um, so uh, yeah. so that's why I chose that one. So any closing remarks about aneurysm or side B of incesticide or, or about um, incesticide as a whole? No, I think we said it all. I, it's, I think it's great that we have this album um, as something that we know that Kurt um, uh, curated himself, even though it's it's uneven and and not everything is ever, is interesting. I we've been talking about the A and the B side for quite a long time. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that that especially the, the the historical value of of the whole album, including the liner notes, including the 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 cover art and stuff like that, is actually more important for Nirvana and music history than than people often realize. Yeah, the album uh, eventually came out halfway December of uh, 1992. So uh, uh, it made it to the stores uh, right before Christmas, which I think a lot of uh, people working on the business side of things were uh, were really, uh, really happy with. It wasn't promoted uh, very heavily, but it sold uh, pretty, uh, pretty good. So um, in the end, I think, uh, yeah, it was a it was a successful project. Definitely. I think it's a time uh, to put this uh, episode of the podcast to an end. I want to thank you for uh, for joining me once again. Thank you. You're welcome. Of course, we will be back, um, but we don't know when we will be back. <laughs> but we will be. Please feel free uh, to reach out to us by email or Facebook or um however you prefer. Jared Kresnikov um, did that. Uh, he wrote us an email and he said, Hey guys, love it. It's a great listen. Very much enjoy the chron- chronological recount of the band Becoming of Age and the evolution of their sound. All the best from Canada, Jared. So everybody, welcome. Uh, thank you for listening, especially yeah, Jared. Thank you. thank you for listening and um, for sending us that kind email. Till next time. Bye. Bye.